This is Reset. I'm Natalie Moore in for Sasha Ann Simons. David Barksdale and Mayor Richard J. Daley are two names you might not put together, but scholar Lance Williams does just that in his new book, King David and Boss Daley, The Black Disciples, Mayor Daley, and Chicago on the Edge. Williams argues that amid urban renewal in the city, two men ruled their respective Black and Irish neighborhoods with an iron fist. Lance joins us in studio to talk about the story. Welcome to Reset. Thank you for having me. All right. People know who Mayor Boss Daley was, big guy, thick Chicago accident, accent, formidable. But who was David Barksdale? Well, David Barksdale was the <laughs> he was the uh, equivalent, I think, of uh, Mayor Daley in his early years. So he was that uh, Chicago swag, African-American male uh, street guy uh, who had similar ambitions as uh, Mayor Daley. So if you could think of uh, Mayor Daley in black with, I would always say, um, a historical. So so David is an individual who had the ambition but didn't have the historical opportunity that Daley had. And when you're making those comparisons, you're not, David Barksdale was not an elected official for those listening who might say, wait, was he uh, an alder? Um, but what did he do? Well, he was he was the uh, first leader of one of Chicago's largest uh, street uh, gangs or street organizations. Um, the, they started off as the Devil's Disciples, uh, came to be known as um, most people know them as the Black Disciples. So he was their first leader who had ambitions to um, take the organization in the direction of uh, black political empowerment. However, uh, always found himself on the wrong end of the law, uh, targeted uh, by law enforcement, uh, and ended up uh, pretty much criminalized. Uh, but also a history, uh, you know, in in the black community, particularly the street community, ended up becoming uh, kind of a, a icon, of, uh, a king of the street, so to speak. At what point did you realize Barksdale's story needed to be braided in with dailies? Oh, that's a great question. Um so I've always been really interested in um, uh, two things. One, uh, even even from a little boy, I've always been interested in um, the black power movement. That era of the 1960s has always been very uh, uh, important to me, but also how that era uh, was, was influenced by black street gangs, right? And so um, talking to just growing up, and doing work in the black community, particularly with young people as a, as a former street gang interventionist, outreach specialist, the stories of the streets um, were, I always found captivating, uh, were captivating to young people, young African-American males who were involved in the streets were always interested in the stories of these organizations, street gang history and culture. Uh, And I knew that, um, when that population is interested in something, the broader population tends to be interested in it as well because they they tend to be um, at the forefront of defining what's cool and what's popular. So because King David, as they called him, was kind of one of their heroes, I knew that it was a story that needed to be told and the broader society probably would be interested in it. Let's talk about the childhood and the upbringing of both men. Uh, Barksdale was born on a plantation in Mississippi. Yes, yes, he was. His his, his parents were uh, sharecroppers in a, in a small town 
in the Mississippi Delta called Salus, Mississippi. And the story very similar to most African-Americans who eventually migrate to the north. Um, uh, father was chased away because of a, um, a conflict that he had with a white man uh, in, in, in Salus, had to leave um, under the threat of, of, of losing his life. Uh, ended up in Chicago and then eventually saved up enough money to bring uh, his family to Chicago. And what did Barksdale find when he came to Chicago and how did he socialize? Yeah, so so David, when he got here and his family got here, it was kind of like on the back end of the um, the. Uh, the end of the, the the greatness of Bronzeville. Bronzeville was kind of on its way out. You know, we had um, just in 48 restrictive covenants ended. Black people are, are beginning now to kind of be pushed out of out of the Bronzeville community. Uh, the uh, Dan Ryan Expressway was about to be built. And so family, when they got here to um, around 47th and Federal is where they lived, they, they, the building that they were li- living in was condemned and demolished, and so they were forced to, to move to Inglewood. So when he got here, basically, uh, he was on 47th Street, which was a hot strip at the time, and uh, he was really, you know, uh, very much influenced by kind of the nightlife on 47th Street or the street life on 47th Street, and that, that had a, a big impression on his life. And so all the things that you just named led to the marginalization. I mean, there's the promise of the great migration for African-Americans moving here, but then there's the discrimination that they're facing with their neighborhoods. And so Barksdale, the first version of the disciples, the devil disciples, black men coming together, uh, parasocial <laughs> in in some ways, in, in many ways. But you have daily who was in uh, organizations also that were not called gangs. Talk about that. Well, you know, uh, so Daly, who uh, grew up in what was called the uh, Hamburg Parish, was a small little area uh, within the the broader Bridgeport community, right? The Irish, all Irish uh, neighborhood, uh, hard scrabble, uh, back of the yards, you know, uh, folks who were on the lowest end of the uh, white ethnic total pole. Right. And so um, Daly ultimately becomes a part of the same kind of element that David found himself a part of in in Inglewood. Um, However, Daly being a part of a group called the Hamburg Athletic Association, which kind of was a nice name for a street gang. Uh, But when you when you look at and you read through the reports of the um, 1990 race riots, uh, that re- kind of report out on how all of uh, the, the the riots actually happened. Those who wrote and law enforcement did not call them an athletic association. It called them a straight up gang. And and Daly was the president of that gang, actually during the time of the 1919 race riots and the the Hamburg Athletic so- Association or you know, the Hamburg gang uh, led a lot of the uh, violence uh, that was perpetrated against black people uh, during that uh, during that time. Although I have to say that there's been no proof that Daly was rioting or that he harmed anyone during the 1919 riots. That is true. Um, true. But he was president of the organization that was 
uh, wreaking havoc. If you're just tuning in, this is Reset. I'm Natalie Moore in for Sasha Ann Simons, and we're talking with scholar Lance Williams about his latest book, King David and Boss Daly. It traces the stories of two of Chicago's most powerful leaders, Black Disciples King David Barksdale and Boss Mayor Richard J. Daly. The two never met, though, right? They never met face to face, but their um, their work and their organizations definitely interacted. And, they, and of course, Daly knew of him uh, and was very concerned about not only his leadership as the leader of the Black Disciples, but Daly was very concerned about the leadership and the movement and the potential um, politicization of the Black Stone Rangers, uh, the Black Disciples, and the Vice Lords. He was very concerned about that. As a matter of fact, he created a special unit called the uh, Gangs Intelligence Unit to monitor their activity um, kind of the same way J. Edgar Hoover monitored and the FBI monitored the um, the activities of COINTELPRO Pro civil rights organizations, but also uh, the Blackstone Rangers as well. You were able to get a letter that I don't think had been public before that a teenage Barksdale wrote about the police. Yes. Can you talk about that letter? Yes. So um, that letter, which is a a, a very important letter, um, I actually um, found it in the archives um, uh, deep, deep, deep down in the archives. But the letter was a, a actually was an open community complaint that David made after being beaten up by the police and had, you know, having his front teeth knocked out. If you, if you check the book, you'll see a mugshot um, of him uh, with his teeth knocked out. Um, and it was a, an incident where he actually was trying to break up a fight in the neighborhood when the police arrived. Um, the police claimed that they didn't know that he was trying to break up the flight fight. They thought he was a part of it. And he was brutalized, basically. And so what happened was he wrote a letter um, with the help and support of some of the people who were kind of his mentors to, to kind of complain about how the, the disciples were being treated by the police, but not just by the police, but by the black community as well. He felt like the black community uh, didn't support him and young people. And so this letter, he complains about uh, this mistreatment of the police and how the community is not supporting. And then he warned the community, if you don't help us, then we'll be forced not only to defend ourselves by any means necessary, not only against the police, but also the community as well, which I found out to be interesting. Also in the letter, he says something interesting, too, um, in um, understanding that he, his organization, the Black Disciples, were in a kind of a fierce war with the Blackstone Rangers. He mentions in that letter and acknowledges them as a, uh, a powerful organization a prideful organization, which is rare for uh, some street guy, gangbanger, so to speak, uh, acknowledging that his foe also has some dignity and respect and should be, you know, should be uh, taken um, uh, seriously in terms of what they could contribute to the community. Martin Luther King and other civil rights leaders came to Chicago in the 60s to fight housing discrimination and the Jim Crow of the North. And they were outmaneuvered many times by Boss Daly. What was the relationship that Barksdale and the disciples had 
with movement leaders who were coming up here during that time? Yeah, so the relationship was, if you recall, when, when Dr. King and SCLC first came to Chicago and announced that they were coming to Chicago, uh, many of the uh, black, elect, black elected officials and um, uh, faith leaders, uh, uh, pastors and preachers, were against him. They did not welcome Dr. King. And so for the movement, Dr. King needed bodies to protest and march and because he wasn't getting that support from black elected officials, there was an individual within his leadership organization, an individual named James Bevels, who had relations with the streets of Chicago and who uh, suggested that they reach out to street gang members, the, the vice lords, Blackstones and Blackstone Rangers and uh, the black disciples to be a part of their movement. And they were successful in recruiting them. And so uh, in many of those early marches, you will see all of the street gangs there protesting, helping Dr. King and supporting him uh, through his movement here in Chicago. And what did King think of the disciples? King was a little leery, kind of a little suspicious, um, but kind of was uh, kind of forced to deal with them because uh, Bevels was so adamant. And, and, and having them to participate. And Bevels was such a key part of Dr. King's leadership. I don't think Dr. King was completely comfortable with, with that so-called element, but he, was, he really had no choice at that time because it was difficult for him to pull um, other more mainstream groups uh, into his um, movement initially. Eventually he was able to do it, but initially it was difficult for him. In the intro of the book, you write that you didn't make this story up, no matter how unbelievable it sounds. Yes. You've been doing this work for decades, but as you were researching this, what did you find that felt a little unbelievable even to you? Oh, wow. Let's see. I mean, you know, I don't, uh, you know, I, I was fascinated, you know, oh, okay, so I can tell you this. I was, I was always under the impression, even growing up around these guys, right, that the Blackstones were the one street gang that probably had more um, relations with uh, the black power movement. But in the research that I did uh, with this book, I actually found out that uh, David Barksdale was the street gang leader closest to Fred Hampton and the Black Panther Party. They were actually friends who hung out on a daily basis. But see, didn't we thought, so uh, for those who don't know, I co-wrote the Almighty Black Peace Donation, The Rise, Fall, and Resurgence of an American Gang with Lands that came out in 2011. And we thought, didn't we think back then that it was more the stones that were more politicized than the disciples? Yes, yes, we did think that. And um, they, so did you I, just undo our research no, no, with no, no, this no, book? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, think, I think they were more politicized. But if you recall, we also wrote about the tension between the Stones and the Black Panthers. Yes. Right. And so my my because of that, you know, um, I think that I think that's the only outlier in terms of the black politics part of it. But I was surprised to know the relationship between the close relationship between David Barksdale and um, and uh, uh, Chairman Fred Hampton. That was something that was, you know, really, really interesting to me. They spent a lot of time together. Um, they were very impressed with each other's leadership. And I think if David had lived past, you know, his 27th birthday, I think 
things would have been much different. And and then of course if if, if Chairman Fred wasn't assassinated. We, and it's not it's not a spoiler to say that David Barksdale died and but he did not die from street violence. Right. And that's another um you know, I've I've seen hundreds of times where it was reported that David Barksdale was was murdered and he was shot to death, which is not true. Brandon Johnson is our new mayor, and he's talked about youth jobs to prevent crime. And that was something that was tried here in Chicago in the 60s with the war on poverty with the Stones and Disciples. What went wrong, and what does the Johnson administration need to keep an eye on as it formulates its youth jobs plan? You know, when you said Johnson administration, I, it I know me I meant John. I meant Brandon Johnson, not Lyndon B. Johnson administration with the war on poverty. Right. So uh, so I, th- I think, you know, I've had an opportunity uh, to work with and, and uh, with Brandon. And so what Brandon understands is that um, there is a cultural um, and a value uh, system in place in the African-American community that has to be in place when you engage the streets, right? So I think the uh, Lyndon B. Johnson administration did not understand that. And they thought that, you know, you could just give money to um, groups of youth. And and I don't know what made them think that, but um, uh, Brandon wouldn't make that same mistake. He would, I'm sure he would make sure that, um, um, that the proper professional, um, infrastructure was in place to engage the streets. You don't just come and drop millions of dollars into the hands of, 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 of young men who are actively involved in the streets. That There has to be a process of mediating that and not saying that they don't deserve that opportunity. They do, but it has to be done within a professional capacity. That's Lance Williams, author of King David and Boss Daly, The Black Disciples, Mayor Daly and Chicago on the Edge. Thanks so much for coming in, Lance. Thanks for having me, Natalie.